Greetings and salutations, one and all. Welcome to today's episode of Risk and Reels. My name is Jeffrey Wheatman, and I am your host for the next 40 or 45 minutes. I am pleased as punch to have uh, my buddy Larry Whiteside uh, on the uh, podcast. Larry and I have known each other, man, for probably 15 years. Yeah, Um, at least. I was actually telling someone the story. I don't know if you remember, but you, me, Proctor, and Arsnake were at the bar at the Delano at at DEFCON one year. And this was was after I stopped drinking. And the three of you were, you guys were lighting it up. It was great. Um, so, um, again, Larry and I have known each other a long time. Larry is a fixture in the security space. He is a man about town. He is the best dressed security guy I know. Uh, <laughs> I was going to put a tuxedo on, but I said, you know what? No matter what I put on, Larry's going to be better dressed than me. Larry's got a great background, mm-hmm. but you can look him up on LinkedIn. So I'm just going to introduce him as my friend, Larry. Larry, welcome, man. It's good to see you. <laughs> What's up, buddy? I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy for you you know, in this new role and all the fun stuff you're getting to do. So I've been excited watching you go. All right, cool. So, all right. So as everyone knows, uh, we always start off with a movie question. So um, let's see, Larry, um, who is your favorite movie heroine of all time? All the movies you've seen, who's the favorite female character you got who stole the show? You know, so um, (laughs) it's funny. I can't say I have a favorite female heroine character there's one actress though i don't care what she does i don't care what she does it in sign me up <laughs> and that is right. Charlize Theron Charlize Theron I, I don't care what she does and in what it's in so, yes please i will take every piece of all of that that she's doing every role so i i am with you um in addition to being an amazing actress She's like a real person. She was on uh, Howard Stern a couple of years ago, and she's like a regular. She's a regular person. Yes, she lives right. in a small house. She got kids. Yeah, I love that. Love that about her. She has not um, let the stardom blow her head up. Yeah. So, what's your what's your favorite movie she's in? So I don't remember the name of it. It's where she was like an ice queen. Like like if you think about most of her movies, she plays. Like either like a, either a femme fatale, where she's you know very you know active you know fighting type thing, or she is like the villain, and so for me, it's all of the ones where she plays a villain, like where she is this alter ego female, super smart, super crafty villainous, right? That when she plays those roles, I'm like, because for me it's it's a combination of beauty and intelligence, right? We all know in this field that cyber criminals are not dumb, right? And so when you think about the criminal element, the criminal element in cyber, there are very few that we're dealing with that are dumb. And so she's never played the dumb, glitzy, blitzy blonde. She always plays a woman who is a thinker, right? And and she's always big thinking, crafty, and so forth. So it's I can't even say there's one particular role. It's anytime she plays... That super smart villainous type role, I'm in. I'm I'm right there. The right. movie with popcorn. All right. Um. You know what? I love that. That's a great uh, assessment. Um. She was in something fairly recently that I thought was pretty good. It might have been a Netflix only thing, and I don't remember the name of it. But she's part of this group of um, semi immortal uh, characters, and she's the leader. Yes. And I see her, yes. and I go, 
think that's Charlize Theron. And it's amazing because she's so good, she makes you forget who she is. And I think you are spot on. She is she is definitely, I think, underrated number one. And, and number two, yeah. I, I like that uh, that that uh, that kind of bad girl um, thing you, you pointed to there. So, all right, awesome. Um, I would have to tell you, I think my my favorite heroine of all time is uh, oh, just went right right out of my head. Um, I'll come back to it because I I swear it was right in there. I even knew my answer before I asked you the question, and now I cannot remember. Uh, but I will come back. You know what? There, I mean, there are so many um, so many of them out there. But we'll I'll think about it before we wrap up. I promise. Yeah. Um, yep. Yep. So. Um, been a little while since we spoke i think the last time we ran into each other might have been last year at rsa um and i think you were on a panel for the cloud security alliance uh which are good friends of of ours um i actually was i was looking at the uh the uh, rsa uh, page today looks like you are going to be speaking there so i'm looking forward to seeing that our our friend patty titus who has been on the podcast She's actually got a slot, so I'm actually excited. Nice. Um, yeah, I've been, believe it or not, last year was the first year I ever went to RSA because as a Gartner analyst, it was a vendor thing no. and there was never it's any fun. It's crazy. Uh, that, that, yeah. that is hard to believe. For anybody that's been in a, a good role, as long as you have at the level that you operate for this long, to know that last year was your first year. Like most yeah. of us, CISOs have been going for 20 years at this point. Like literally, yeah. we've been going for so long at this point to hear that you, this is, that's your, that was your first. And it's, it's actually mind boggling. Well, you got, you got to remember on the, when I was on the Gartner side, all the vendors wanted to talk to us. So anybody from Gartner that went out there, you didn't get to see anything. You were literally cramped with, with vendors and we don't like the vendors. I mean, now, now we do. We like one vendor at least. (laughs) So, all right. So, so let me just kind of throw something out there. So one of the things that that I picked up on uh, last year was we've definitely seen some transition in the market that we call GRC, Governance Risk Management and, and Compliance. Um, my experience, and granted, we, we at Black Kite, we're sort of in a narrow element, but what we've seen is that whole GRC thing is moving upstream, right? It's moving, it's got more management visibility. We're talking to more enterprise risk managers. So why don't you wax poetic for a couple of minutes on, on what you've seen? I mean, you've been a CISO in a bunch of different places, you know, good, yeah. bad, not well, you've always been good, but the organization's not always great. Right. So right. what you what have you seen as an evolution there, uh, for good or bad? Yeah, so so here here's a reality of the space. If you think about where the industry is saying that executives must go, right? We have to speak the business language, right? We have to speak in terms of what the business understands. We have to speak in a way that they can grasp what we're trying to accomplish. We have to speak in their terms. Great. Some of us CISOs have been saying that for 10 years and we've been operating in that mode. The only tool, if you really think about the ecosystem of tools that security teams run and operate and have in their bag, the only tool that speaks in a language that business understands is the GRC tools, right? Because it talks in risk. It talks about compliance and regulatory things, right? It talks in things that they begin to understand because you can directly correlate the things that you're dealing with into their business. So 
with that, over the last, I'll say, seven years, GRC tools have just gone, right? Everybody's add to that the questionnaires and all, right? So this this whole proliferation of more governance, more regulation, more, 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 more has pushed the space up. But now what's happened is we are in information overload. We don't we still don't have enough staff. The GRC space being the least technical space is the one that grows the slowest, but they've got more work than ever. So now we're seeing this shift, what we call the shift left mentality, right? We've heard shift left be utilized across our industry. It started in the development space, right? Where we were talking about shift development left and right, have DevOps and DevSecOps and right, have your CI CD pipeline and all this and automate where you can. Then we push that into SecOps where we're like, hey, in security operations, we're getting in so much data, we want analysts to spend time on the right things. So let's automate where we can and let's narrow the focus down so that they're not doing menial tasks and they're focusing on the things that need to happen. Well, now that's where we're at in the GRC space. In the GRC space with the amount of data that's coming into an organization that they have to, if you think, push this all the way back, as auto, as GRC tools uh, have grown, there've been more regulations pushed. All that's done is push more work on the cybersecurity team to have a GRC function or on the audit teams or on the, the risk managers teams that are trying to do data gathering because the data proliferation has caused there to be more data that has to be gathered to pro- provide attestation that we're actually meeting the controls of this regulatory thing. So now right. organizations are starting to say, let's automate. Let's, let's, let's stop manually gathering data. Like why in 2023 are we still doing screen scrapes of, of pictures of tools, right? Showing, hey, see, you look at this picture of this security tool we have, that's how we meet that control. Are you... Are, are you really shitting me? Like, pardon my French, but is that what we're doing in 2023? That's all right. We all right. we all speak French here. <laughs> right. But so now it's 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 this whole aspect of let's automate. Like let we this is the I, I'm calling this the last frontier. And we we we've coined this term regops, regulatory operations, right? We've got DevOps, we've got SecOps. So let's 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 build our regops function, right? To make sure that we are actually utilizing the tools that we have in front of us appropriately. Every tool that we have now has API capabilities for you to be able to extract data points. Why are we not utilizing that to do that for these audits? Why are we not doing that for these attestations for the regulatory things? Why, why are we, but because that has not been our focus. We've been focusing on protect and detect, right? Make sure you can detect as quickly as possible Right, so it's 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 what's your mean time to detection? Every CISO has got that on their freaking board in their office and is asking their SecOps team every single day to look at that number. Right, what's your mean time to remediation? Right, because that's how we get measured from the standpoint of our operational teams functioning properly. Well, guess what? The thing that's going to get you money, the thing that's going to get you the budget that you need to actually build the, the operations program that you want is all those regulations and all the controls that all those regulations mandate you to do, showing that you have operationalized something to meet all of that on your journey to having a good cyber program. The challenge has been, and the problem has been, we've had this adversarial relationship with compliance and with risk, right? Oh, well, if if I meet this regulatory framework, that doesn't mean I'm secure. Well, no shit, Sherlock, right? Nobody's saying that. 
but but what we've done is we've allowed that to be the narrative, right? Well, we go back to Target and everybody always uses Target, right? Well, Target was PCI compliant and they still got hacked. Yes, being PCI uh, compliant does not mean you're secure. We all know that. Being compliant with any regulation does not mean you're secure. But because we as CISOs have not done a good job holistically articulating to the board, to the audit committee, to our executive leadership team, hey, we have these regulations that I need to meet, right, in order for us as a business to operate. Okay, great. These are how I'm going to meet those in my path towards being a better security team, right? Instead, we let them push down on us. You need to meet this regulation, right? What I've always done is said, great, I need to meet that regulation. Well, here are the controls that align to that that I need to deal with. And I add the ones from the frameworks because we're all dealing with some sort of framework, whether it's the NIST CSF, the 853, ISO, whatever, pick your framework, any framework, right? And I use those controls as the basis for, hey, these are the things I need to do operationally to meet these controls. And these are the controls that align to this. So if you say you want me to meet this, give me the money. I will meet these controls that will help me meet this. And now everybody's happy. But that doesn't well, mean I, I don't know. Everybody's happy. But I got well, so. Let I mean, me ask you a question, Larry. So, so I agree with everything you're saying. Here's here's what I have seen. And remember, you know, I've been on the opposite side of the table as an advisor. Yeah, yeah. The problem is, GRC tools are essentially workflow management tools. You need to know who yes. needs to be involved in being responsible, informed, accountable, right, etc. Most of the folks I've spoken with don't understand the process. They don't understand what their material risks are. They don't understand what their key assets are. They don't have the authority to make a decision. Hey, you know what? This risk is outside our risk appetite. We can't do this. So the tools are fine. But I will tell you, when I was advising people at Gartner on GRC, 80% of the time I'd hang up the phone and go, you should not buy a tool. Because they're so, automating badness, right? The the metaphor I always right. use: if you think of risk as this little animal with with you know sharp teeth and pointy claws, if you jam that little dude in a box, GRC, mm-hmm. and in a year you open that box, you are not going to recognize that little monster. It's going to be a different monster, or maybe it's going to be more than one monster. So how well, do you how do you how would you advise organizations that don't have the process, don't have the right level of accountability, right? You know as well as anyone. If the CISO is accountable for risk, they're failing, period, for right. stop. Well, right. that's that's the first point right there. The first point is is this tool is not a panacea. <laughs> like like anybody who's going into the GRC can space. You, can you call the vendors and tell them that? Because they seem to think it is. <laughs> yeah, but every vendor does. If you Like you'll be at RSA, right? And I'll be at RSA. And, and we need to uh, – this is something I think we should partner on. Is is literally a freaking uh, um, uh, word bingo, right? Like, like just li- because we know every single entity in there is going to have everything saying we solve all your problems. Buy us because we fix all. We will stop you from ever having a breach. We will we will allow you to walk on water. You buy us, and Jesus will come. Like everything that you can possibly think of, they well, say. It's funny you use that term, though, right? Because I always tell people, if a vendor tells you they solve all your problems, you should run away really far and really fast. But we don't. We don't because they're in the biggest booths right in front, and they, they, they say all these things, right? So, so here's the reality. 
So number one, GRC tools are not a panacea. You have to understand your risk. But the thing is, is I look at the tools as a mechanism to enable me to have a platform that I can bring in, for, bring others in for collaboration, right? Because here's the deal. Most of the time when I did not have a GRC tool, you know what I did? I had Excel spreadsheets and PowerPoints. Yep. And then the only time I got to bring the other leaders in right, was when I was going to present about it and tell them what they I needed from them related to what I put together, right? And that was once a month or once every other week at the most. And then there were a bunch of back-end meetings because they had no idea what the hell was going on. And they weren't, again, they didn't understand, right? So when I did get a GRC tool to, for, from your standpoint, it was about implementing a process because Implementing a process via a ticketing system never works. It just it just doesn't work. Hey, these risk here's here's our uh, risk register. It's in an Excel spreadsheet. These risks have been identified. They get brought up once a month at the CEO's ELT meeting. They get assigned to somebody in a ticketing system. They don't do anything with it. They don't follow up on it. They don't understand how it aligns to their business. They don't understand how it negatively impacts the controls that are governed by the regulatory things that we have to do. And so then what happens is it goes on, it keeps being brought up as red because it's not being dealt with on a monthly basis, but nobody ties it all the way back to, right? Okay, now it's audit season and the auditors are coming in and it gets shown and it's red. And then everybody's like, well, why is that still red? Well, it's been red now for nine months, but nobody cared. The only reason somebody cares about it now is because the auditors are coming. So the goal is, is to have this tool help bring a full picture, right, of what risk means, right? Because if you can tie it down and say, hey, we had a risk assessment or, or we've got these vulnerabilities, the risk associated with these things means this. It ties back to our inability for this application to run, right, which is going to cost us X amount of money. It ties back to this regulatory thing. That we, that, we will, that we are currently failing that's going to call us X amount of money and fine, right? It's bringing that full picture. The tool, the purpose of a GRC is not, is not to solve the problem of governance risk and compliance. It's to bring visibility to it and bring in the ties to all of the things that matter from a business perspective. And that's where people get this, this failure. It's not just about getting reports written. It's not just about right? Having a, a system of record. It's about all of those things and having this tool that's going to facilitate processes, tie into the other tools that you already have and remove a lot of manual effort that organizations are wasting today. If you can't hire enough people, shouldn't your number one job be trying to find out how to make the people you have more efficient, right? And in automating GRC, that's one of the big things. If I can make my team more efficient, if I've got a way to automate the ingestion of vulnerability data, automate the ingestion of security data, automate the ingestion of all these different data points that I can then through that, tie that directly into my risk register and the controls that I have and see in real time every day where we stand. Because here's the deal, if a tool then reports in something, right? It, it Something turns red in tool, Z, right? Because we know we've got a myriad of tools out there. Today, right, if somebody sees it, they're going to focus on just that, but they're not going to know how to prioritize it. 
So they're going if the tool's not important, they're going oh, well, something turned red over there. We'll get to that because we've got other things. But if this tool reports in and that tool is seen as it ties to a control that then aligns to a business process that then aligns to a regulatory framework and that stream turns red, that's a whole sh oh shit moment. Like, oh, wait, well, I didn't know that that was going to impact all these things. Somebody needs to go fix that. That's what the purpose of GRC tools should be. All right. So um, a couple questions then. So, so you've been talking a lot about regulatory drivers. What, what about organizations or companies that don't have a lot of regulatory oversight? I mean, I think I think everyone's got something, but there are there are organizations that are not yeah, heavily are. regulated, right? Not everyone's a bank, not everyone's healthcare. So how how would you suggest a, a peer, a colleague of yours in one of those environments sort of motivates people to fix stuff, right? To address risk. Yeah, so so in, in those non-regulated entities, and they, they do exist, right? It's really about controls, right? Everybody is picking a framework. Nobody's building a cyber program just on a whim. Just that just doesn't happen. You know why? Because <laughs> you, I will tell you, my time at Gartner, that is not true. There were plenty of people really? who were winging it, man. Really? Are we kidding? Like the the easiest thing on the planet that you can do as a cyber practitioner or a cyber leader is when you say, "Okay, I need to build." And actually, I did meet somebody today who's both IT and cyber. And he's at a um, a small healthcare facility here in Florida. And he was like, I said, so, you know, do you have a team? He's like, no, it's just me. I said, do you have an IT team? He's like, no, it's just me. I was like, I was like, do you, have you, what tools do you have? Well, you know, and I won't even name the tools, but it was like, it was like it was 1995 all over again. I was like, whoa. I was like, okay. I, I was like, do you have, so I, but. Yeah. You know yes. what? That's so, that's a that's a find a new job moment. But I'll tell you what, Larry. Yeah. I'm telling you, I was taking at least two or three calls a month for the last couple of years at Gartner, going, "Hey, we don't have a framework. What framework should we pick?" And I used to tell people all the time, "I don't really care which one any, you pick. Pick one." And there's two any, reasons why. Right. Number one, a bunch of really smart people made a bunch of bad mistakes and decided this is how not to make them. But more important, when you go to management and say, "Hey, we need to do this." And they say, why? If your answer is, well, I got two thumbs and I say so, they're not giving you any money, right? So yeah. you're, you're, assuming, you're assuming everyone is as capable as you, and that's not true. Right, right. Yeah, and so today on stage, I did ask the room of probably, you know, 200 people, hey, who's using a framework for the basis of their cybersecurity program? And about 50% of the room raised their hand. I assume yeah. the other 50% just didn't raise their hand because of their, you know, uh, don't, you remember the old, don't so, assume because it makes an ass out of you and me. I know. So here's the deal. So for those non-regulated entities, my, my, my hope is that they're using a framework. And, and I say for any non-regulated regulated entity that is using a framework, again, it is about tying things back to controls because controls are the things that help you understand your true risk. You can say, oh, because I've got this vulnerability, there's a risk. But if the vulnerability is to a system that is not connected to the internet it, and it's isolated, and I, is it really a risk, right? But you may have 25 of those that have something that's unpacked, but is it really a risk, right? But if you have that same system that's sitting in your DMZ, that's tied to a business unit that generates $100 million in revenue, then that should be the highest risk possible. And so it's, 
uh, I think a control aligning to a control framework of some sort gives you the ability to sort of prioritize what you do and don't work on, right? And then having those and, and being able to have those controls that give you that prioritization, then having a GRC that ties the data specifically to what you are generating from a data standpoint inside your security ecosystem to those controls gives you that visibility you need of what controls are failing and why. Right. So, so you mentioned business process and, and I think that's an important thing. Let's spend a couple of minutes. I, um, I have sort of realized fairly recently, considering I've been doing this for a long time, that your executives care about three things. Money coming in, whether that's customers, revenue, whatever, money going out, they want less of it. And if something goes sideways, who's getting in trouble, right? So there, so there's a, a, I think there's a piece between what you talked about and, and sort of ultimately what that is. I mean, like, just to give you an example, I work with our salespeople at Black Kite. And I tell them, you need to go to the company's website, who you're trying to sell product to, and look at what their values are. Look at their, their mission, their vision. Look at their strategic objectives. And here's the interesting thing. I used to talk to a lot of CISOs who never did that for their organizations. So I don't know if you remember Ken McGee from Gartner uh, years and years yeah. ago, but like my first out of the country conference, Ken and I was sitting having cocktails in India and um, he had a couple and he said, look, I work with a lot of CIOs at very big companies. And he said, a lot of them can't tell me what the most valuable line item on their general ledger is. In other words, they don't know what their businesses do for a living. That's insane. But it's a fact and it's pretty real. So that, that's it. Because the CIO is supposed to be the tie between business and technology. They're supposed to be the ones that are developing a technology strategy to enable the business to accomplish mm -hmm. its business goals through the use of technology. So any yep. CIO that like that is, yeah. Yeah. I, in my opinion, I think there are a fair amount of CIOs out there that are actually really CTOs. They manage right. the technology, but I don't think. But the flip side, I think, is also a problem, which is, you know, if you look at publicly traded companies, right, they declare salaries. So CEO makes 800K, CFO makes 600K, uh, COO makes 600K, CIO makes 350. Right. Right. Well, so. I mean, but that's. Well, and then, and then CISO, if the C, if the CIO makes three fifty, then the CISO is making one seventy five. <laughs> I mean, not not anymore though. But yeah, I mean, but but the point is that I think it's a bit of a cyclical problem, right? Because if they don't believe the CIO or the CISO is strategic, they won't involve them in strategic conversations, and then it becomes a self fulfilling sort of prophecy where, where they're pulling everybody down. And then what happens? Something bad happens. And the CSO is now the chief scapegoat officer. And, you know, so hopefully the new SEC regulations are, will have some impact there because now the boards so, need to know what the material risks are to the business. And they can't say, well, we didn't know that anymore. So hopefully that'll so, so take some time. But You know, the credit unions have come out with a similar thing, right? So the credit unions have come out with a regulation that basically says it's 72 hours of, of identification of material uh, breach, you must notify. 72 hours, right, for credit unions. So they, right. they, here's they the even they Here's exceeded. the problem, though, Larry. When are they aware? Bing, bing, right? bing. 
because because that's the thing. The federal government has similar strict things, and you know, typically they just we didn't know about it, or we were still researching and we didn't have anything to declare. So I like to hear that's that. That's the though. piece. Um, and the other one I think that's going to start raising a lot of awareness too is DORA out of the EU. Um, and where I'm actually looking for someone to come on and talk about it because I don't know enough uh, about it. But you know, I was talking with uh, my former colleague Roberta Witte, and um, she says their volume on Dora is like through the roof. And really? the general consensus is that this is not going to be one of those regulations where they're going to let you off a whole bunch of times until they start enforcing. She thinks they're going to have hard, you know, nose to the grindstone enforcement like day one, and it's coming. I think it's. I think the deadline wow. is this month. Yeah. Wow. And and I think there are huge issues there. And one of the things we've been talking about, and I actually have a blog that either just went up or is going up on, you know, Dora has a big piece on third party risk management in it because yeah. of all of the all of the dependencies that are out there. And let, let's actually talk a little bit about third party risk, right, as a subset of yep. ERM, um, because we're seeing uh, board board level awareness now around supply chain risk and it, for my money, supply chain risk, vendor risk, third-party risk, they are all facets of the same coin. Right. I know coins only. 100%. Coins. Yeah. It's, it's risk you accrue because you do business with somebody else, right? So depending on who you're yep. talking to. But who owns it, right? Because we, I, we don't get a good answer. I did a, I did a, a webinar for ITGRC forum last summer, and um, we asked as a polling question, who owns the cybersecurity piece of your supply chain risk was their topic. And about 50% of the people said the CISO and the other answers were all over the place. And then I asked kind of an, a, a, a kind of on the fly question. So of the CISOs that own it, can you say no? None of them could. No. So you can't what, say what do no. we do? Who owns third-party risk? Who should own it? It shouldn't be the CISO. It shouldn't be the CISO, right? I mean, unless you are focusing the third-party risk specifically on the technology component, right? If you want to say, right, right, I think because third-party risk goes beyond just the technology integration between two orgs, and and the, right, so I think the chief data officer is a person that could own it, right? Because ultimately, the risk is about the data, right? Um, when when you when you're working with a third party, right? So them, it's that data you interchange and how they utilize it, how they store it, and that type of stuff. Um, but I can also see the CISO. It, it should be. So in most organizations that I know, third-party risk, the CISO has a seat at the table, yeah. right? And then there's somebody in the business that owns third-party risk. Like my buddy is the head of third-party risk at TD Ameritrade, right? So so that it's a it's its own entity outside the CISO. And so um, I don't know. I see it as its own thing. If you have a chief risk officer, maybe that's where it goes, right? Because it's risk and it's, it's got this tie between business and data and technology that is just sort of very weird and tough to put it in the proper place. Yeah. But you know, it, it, there's two extremes, right? If everybody owns it, nobody owns it. And if nobody owns it, nobody owns it. And I feel right. like we are, we're playing both ends against the, the middle. And I was actually talking with a guy a couple weeks ago about enterprise risk. And he said, look, the person that runs enterprise risk, whether it's a CRO or something similar, they have an unenviable role because they need to understand all of the facets of risk, but don't own any of them, 
right? The, the ERM person typically has a very, very small staff. You know, maybe they have a couple of policy people. Yep. Maybe they have GRC people. But it just, it seems to me like we're still far away from figuring this part out. Like, I mean, you know, in my role, I own, I own the relationship with the analyst firms. And I talk okay. to them, my former employer and the others, and I talk to them on a regular basis and I'm constantly being shunted around. Well, okay, I talk to the people that talk to CISOs. I talk to the people in sourcing procurement and vendor management. I talk to the people that are focusing on ERM. I actually had someone suggest to me, which was really interesting. He said, supply chain risk actually should be owned by the chief revenue officer. And you go, well, why? Well, here's why. If I sell product, and my supply mm -hmm. chain gets whacked and I can't deliver product, who's getting a screaming phone call? The sales guys, right? So True. it's all over the place and right. that's part of the, the problem. Yeah, but the chief revenue, yeah, that, that's interesting. I've never thought about that. I, would, I wouldn't do that. And here's the reality <laughs> there. Um, most of these, right, so, so enterprise risk management is always a group, right? But to the point that you made about the enterprise risk manager not owning anything and, and, and you know, having to make calls about things that they, they don't own, isn't that what CISOs do today? We don't own any of the risk. We don't own the technology that's being nah, but we But business. you guys get in trouble for it all the time. Right. I know. But, uh, like, so, so when we think about the enterprise risk manager, right, where they don't own the risk, they don't own, they're just governing the risk. Their advisors who sort of track the risk across the business and what's going on, whether it's physical risk, operational risk, or whatever, right? Technology risk, they're sort of tracking and governing and trying to hold someone accountable, but they don't own it. Well, that's what security does. We don't own this shit. We 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 are blocking and tackling, and then we're advising, right, the technology part arm of our business. Hey, we need to do these things. We're advising the business that that business strategy. And the mechanism you're going down to try and implement technology to enable that business strategy is risky, and you probably shouldn't do this. But we don't own it. You're starting. We are starting to see CISOs take over infrastructure, like they're pulling it into them. And now I see chief, uh, uh, C T C, what is it? Chief infrastructure security officer, right? I know a couple of people with that uh, title. Which see, is I feel weird. like we're going, but I feel like then we're going in the wrong direction again. I agree. 100%. Yeah. Uh, 100%. My belief is this, is that the CISO should not own any operations, meaning the CISO shouldn't own a SOC. The CISO shouldn't own, that should all be underneath the CIO and or the CTO. Okay? That's it. Yeah. Put it underneath the CIO and CTO, have the CISO sit on the outside and be an, an advisor and an auditor and, and own governance. Right, where their job is to hold the the CTO and the CIO accountable, right, to implementing the proper controls, accountable to implementing the proper technology, accountable to doing the things that they need to, and reporting on that up to the, the CEO, reporting that up to the board, right, as as an, an advisor to these entities, understanding risk, understanding the risk of business, understanding the risk of technology implementation. But we as CISOs in our industry have a problem with size. And I, I'll, I'll expand on that. We like big teams, right? Like well, right, because the more people you have, the more perceived power you have. 
Bing, 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 Right? Right? This is the Sir Mix-a-Lot song. We like big teams and we will not lie. You, like it's, <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh, we, that, we, now you're, you're dating yourself, Larry. <laughs> I, uh, I know a little bit. But, but that's what it is. We like size. We want our we want our team to be massive. We want our team to be right. Now, listen, I would I would prefer a small team if I could just sit here and be an advisor and say, hey, right, they're not operating the way the way they need to, right? They're not implementing the way they need to. They're not. These are the things we advise that they do. Here are the controls they need to work to aligning towards, right? I, that would be my nirvana. Is right. Here's the, the here's strategy. the challenge, though. That yeah. requires that requires good processes. It requires visibility because you you can say that, but you need to know it's happening, and you need to know right. before it becomes a problem. And that right. is, I just I feel like we are, I feel like we're going up, but very very slowly. And I don't know if you've been well, following any of the stuff that Proctor's been doing over at Gartner on ODMs and outcome-driven security. And I think he's really onto mm-hmm. something there and it's resonating, but I, I feel like it's still, it's still applicable in much, much larger environments. And I think in smaller environments, I think, we, I don't think we have the luxury of um, not having some of those teams. I mean, some of the best CISOs I've known in my careers had very small teams. You know, my friend, Dennis Brixius, he was the CISO for uh, from McGraw-Hill, he had like five people. They were a strategic advisory yeah. function. They were a right. huge company and he had a great program. Yep. But part of it right. was his personality, right? right? And his approach. And I don't know when he left there, if that was the case. Now there was the whole spinoff with S&P and there was a lot of stuff right. going on right. there. But um, yeah, so, all right, Larry, we are running up on the end of our time. I know you and I could talk forever. Um, yeah, so let's do a quick, let's took a quick little recap. So, uh, Larry does not have a famous heroine. However, he is a big <laughs> Charlize Theron fan. I love that. Yes. Um, my, I think if I, I, I could never come up with the heroine, but I'm a big fan of Galadriel from, from Lord of the Rings. I thought she was, oh, um, okay. very powerful, subtle, put, push the men in the right direction, which is here, go, go do this. So I thought she was, she yeah. was great. Um, GRC is not a panacea, which we we all know, um, but it can definitely be an important part. We have too much data, and Larry likes Sir Mix a lot. Anything else, Larry? Before we go, <laughs> uh, that's a good summary for sure. <laughs> all right. Any final thoughts, Larry, for the audience before we uh, go our separate ways? No, you know, for, for me, uh, oh, no, yes, uh, for me, I always like to leave a final thought, right? So, um, uh, and, and this sort of stuck with me. It is do something, and that do something is start with a framework. Like, whatever you're doing, I don't care what you're doing, start with a framework as your guide. Do not go out there like a cowboy or cowgirl and do this all willy-nilly. There is too much data. There's too much that we have found over the years. The threat actors are getting smarter at a faster clip than we are. Yep. Like use a framework. It will it will literally save you time. And literally like the CIS controls, they've actually made it English. Meaning, you know, a lot of these frameworks are, you know, if you're trying to read like, what do they really mean? Go to the CIS controls. 
They've simplified it for you, right? It, it, even if you but you know what? I will that, tell you, it made me nuts when they went from 20 to 18. 20, for whatever reason, has a nice round number. Was, 18 is too yes. confusing. But, you know, know, to your point, I, I love that. And there was a presentation I tried to do a couple of years ago. They let me do the deck, but they wouldn't let me keep the title. My title was Pick a Framework, Stupid. Shockingly, Gartner <laughs> would not let me put that on stage. But I know, like, uh, right. you know, Rich Adescott and Kushpi Pratap and a couple other folks, they, they ran with that. And I think it was really, really important. So, all right, yeah. my friend, a pleasure as always. It's been way, way too long. Let's keep in touch. We will see each other at RSA or – Maybe we will have seen each other at RSA because I don't know when this right. is actually going to go up. Right. But right. either way, we'll have fun. Um, so with that, Larry, I want to thank you again uh, to the audience. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Stay secure. This has been another episode of Risk and Reels. Weepin' out. Thank you for listening to Risk and Reels, a cybersecurity podcast. Be sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to riveting 30-minute conversation about movies and cybersecurity. Jeffrey will be on the road this year at some of the industry's biggest events, but you can always find him on LinkedIn and Twitter at Jeffrey Wheatman. This podcast is powered by Blackkite, the only security rating service to deliver the highest quality intelligence to help organizations make better risk decisions.